This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I just, um, you know, as we're worshiping there, there's something awesome that happens when we worship collectively. Um, how, how many of you, I, I know that I've had powerful times of worship on my own, by myself. Yes, this is true. But the most powerful times of worship are when we come together. And, and partly it's psychological. God made us that way so that when we would come together and you've had like a hard week, or you, you sense the presence of God in a very tangible way. And I think this morning we, we experienced that, that God is with us. He is Emmanuel. That is not just something we say at Christmas. Uh, but we believe God, Emmanuel, is with us. What's true about the gospel, though, is that God doesn't differentiate between how we, um, like we don't have these ecstatic spiritual experiences and then divorce them from our real life. Have you ever met somebody who's had like, who has experiences with the Lord, but then they leave and you're like, ah, what? Apparently you needed to stay in that experience for a bit longer. This is the way of the gospel, though, that God actually intertwines our experiences with him and causes us to be able to walk in a new way. This is what um, the word sanctification means, that we would meet with God and then be transformed by God and with God. And this is our ongoing, this is our ongoing joy as Christians, that we get to be sanctified every week. Sanctification is like this old word that that, you know, when you're growing up, sometimes uh, grandmothers use it, that was sanctified. But what it means is that we'd be changed and be made more like Jesus. And if you're anything like me, looking at your own life, you recognize you're still in need of more sanctification, which is why we continue to chase the presence of God, to say, God, I need your presence. I need you in my life because I'm aware of who I am. And, and the Sermon on the Mount is an interesting uh, sermon because Jesus really talks quite practically the whole time through this. I haven't, like sometimes when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I think, well, like it really doesn't talk about all this um, stuff up here. It's like really on the ground. And, and really, this is the importance of the gospel that we would learn how to live our lives out on the ground. We'd experience God and then we'd walk with him all the days of our lives, every minute, not just in spiritual experiences. Today, we're going to talk about... Um, perhaps the most famous part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and that's uh, from Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to read it all in a second, but it says this, Judge not, lest you be judged. And if you ask the average person on the street, say we were to go on the street and say, can you name me two things that Jesus said? Guaranteed this is going to be one of them, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. This has become, this little phrase has become ubiquitous in our world. My kids are always saying this, don't judge me. I was not judging you. I was just telling you to brush your hair, man, brush your teeth. I am not judging you. I am making a comment about your bad breath, but I am not judging you. You know, and if you do a little Google search, um, you, can, you can practice this if you want. You type into the Google bar, Jesus said, just write in, Jesus said, and you know what pops up? first or second, depending on what, uh, judge not. Jesus said judge not. This is a huge issue or a huge topic in our, in our society. 
And, and it, it really does fit in tow with um, our culture's most basic assumptions that religious is private and morality is relative. And people have appropriated this verse to the two things that our society believes, which means, and this means you can't really tell people what they believe is right or wrong. Anybody else ever felt that? You can't really, you can't really, you can't tell me. And we, we kind of, our society has kind of made like what you believe about Jesus or what you believe about spirituality or religion is a decision kind of like, do you like Coke or do you like Pepsi? I mean, it's kind of up to you. Do you drive a Japanese car or do you drive a German car? Well, that's kind of up to you. Do you believe in Jesus or like maybe not really? Well, it's kind of up to you. And even Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. The question is, is that really what Jesus was meaning in this text? Is that really what he was saying? Okay, so let's read the whole passage. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? By the way, this was, this was sort of meant to be funny. In Hebrew, when you read this, it wasn't just Jesus. Jesus was not speaking this in an angry way. It, it, he was using uh, idioms from Hebrew language that were meant to be jovial. So when you read this scripture, understand that Jesus isn't screaming at people. He's speaking in a way that's gentle. Um, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And then he says in verse 6, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What a lovely way to end a reading with a life verse. Okay, so if judge not lest ye be judged is music to modern ears, then verse 6 that we just read is kind of the opposite, right? Because, like, did, you ever, did Jesus just refer to some people as dogs and pigs? What? Uh, Jesus, uh, and if you think about it, Jesus says in this one passage, don't judge, lest you be judged. Also, some of your friends might be dogs or pigs. So, so what is Jesus saying here? This is the question that we have to ask. This is the question that we, we really should always be bringing to Scripture when we read it, not just like a perfunctory reading of it. Um, he certainly, Jesus certainly doesn't mean here that you can never tell someone they're wrong. That is not what Jesus is saying there, because Jesus spent his whole ministry doing that. Uh, in fact, just a few verses after, G after this statement, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, Enter the, through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Uh, this doesn't sound like, hey, whatever way you want to get to the truth, just like, go ahead and do it. That's not what Jesus, clearly is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, um, here's how Jesus characterized his whole life. He said, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And that doesn't quite sound like an easygoing, say la vie kind of dude, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus was not just a guy that said, yeah, whatever. Just like, do you, man. Judge not, lest you be judged. But that's how we've kind of appropriated these scriptures, right? 
Uh, and, and you know, I, you know, I was um, thinking about this and thinking, well, maybe that was just Jesus. Like, we can't judge, but Jesus can because he's Jesus. We can't tell people they're wrong, but Jesus can. But in fact, we see that this is not true of anybody who followed Jesus. John the Baptist was beheaded. Why? Because he called Herod out on his horrible sexual practices. Um, Paul uh, said, rebuke the works of darkness and kick the immoral man out. And... Um, so it, it can't mean, Jesus can't mean here that you can't tell people they're wrong. So what does he mean? What does he mean? This is the question we have to ask because Christians, have you ever, uh, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you talk to somebody who's not a Christian, um, you'll have people who are not Christians say, oh, I hate Christians because they're so judgmental. I hate them because they, they're always judging me. So what does it mean to not judge but still speak truth. And the first big idea we want to talk about today is that we cannot dismiss people because we disagree. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Even though Jesus told some people that their works were evil and made it very clear that unless they entered the narrow gate that they um, wouldn't get to heaven, he still didn't condemn the world. Because not condemning does not mean not telling the truth. Not condemning means that we never cast people off, even after we have told the truth. Because we understand that we are not the final judge. I always get nervous when people make sweeping statements about certain kinds of people or certain groups of people. Those people will never go to heaven. Those people will never... Because, like, unfortunately, the bar kind of changes. Like, when I was a young person, it was, like, in vogue to, to tell young... And I'm laughing now because it's, it's, it sounds silly. It's going to sound silly coming out of my mouth. If you went to movies at all, the movie theater was rapture-proof. That's not a lie. People, I mean, it is a lie, but it was. That's what people told us. Like, if you were watching Bambi, the film Bambi, and Jesus came back, those movie theaters, they built them to be rapture-proof. You weren't going. Anybody who went to a movie was, of course, not a Christian and, of course, couldn't get into heaven. You see, but like now, we've been enlightened somehow. Some of us have been enlightened way too much. I know what y'all are watching on Netflix. Your house might know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, the, the, but what we can't do is like just make these broad, sweeping, general statements because only God knows people's hearts. That doesn't mean we don't tell people the truth. It means that we don't dismiss them. It means that there's going to be people in our lives. If you don't have people in your life who you disagree with on major issues, I want to question what you're doing. You've got to have people that you disagree with. Think about them right now. Who are the people you disagree with? I've come to make you have a great Sunday. You've got to have people like that. And you can't push them aside just because they have a different position than you. It doesn't make you wrong. You're not being a, a relativist in that. You're being like Jesus. It's all kinds of people that Jesus disagreed with, but he still kept them. He didn't condemn the world. He came to save the world. You see, it's what you do after you tell somebody the truth that determines whether or not you are condemning or judging them. And after telling us the truth, Jesus brought us close. This is what he did. He held out his arms and died for us. This is the Jesus we follow Okay, the second big idea is this, is that judging reflects extreme ignorance of our own sinfulness. 
When Jesus talks about the speck in your neighbor's eye and the log in your own, what is he getting at here? Hypocrisy, right? You shouldn't berate people for the very things you're guilty of. Okay, and there's like a million examples of this, like you berate somebody for cutting someone off on the deer foot and then you don't put your signal on to change lanes. You know that neat one? Uh, that's a small one. But we all have these things that we do. And yes, he is getting at us not being blatant hypocrites, but I think Jesus is getting at more uh, than that. I think he's, he's getting at our inability to confront our own sinfulness, to confront the fact. You notice that Jesus doesn't say, like, if you have a plank in your eye. It just says, like, you have, you do have a plank in your eye. You see, Christian doctrine teaches us that we are completely sinful. Nobody wants to hear this anymore. Nobody talks about this anymore. Because I, I, I think we bought into a humanistic lie that says that we're all basically good. You know, I think this is the, the biggest thing that, that, um, that the church has to confront in these days, particularly in North America. We have what I call rabbit's foot Jesus. So we are actually basic humanists who then sprinkle a little Jesus dust on top of it and call it Christianity. That, that's not Christianity. Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, says that we, at our base state, are depraved, that we are sinful. And if we don't get that, if we don't actually own that in our own lives, that Jesus has come and like taken away our sin, if we don't own that, we get ourselves into problems. This is where we get judgmental. If you think about sin a bit like a disease, um, just because you don't show all the symptoms of a disease doesn't mean you don't have the disease. Hence the reason you're all wearing masks right now. Um, so when I'm talking to someone who's in sin or in error, I should be painfully aware that I'm infected with the same sinful stuff that they are. I should remember well the scripture that says, with the judgment you pronounce on somebody, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be judged, measured to you. So what measure, which judgment was measured to me? Mercy. And that should affect how I approach others. You see, the antidote to judging is to remember the gospel. It's to be broken by the gospel, the goodness of God. This is why when we take communion, we should become undone. Because it reminds us that at our base state, we are broken. Without Jesus, we are broken. And this doesn't fit into the narrative that society has told us that we are basically like just trying to farm out our own goodness. I, I was interested in this a little bit in the news. So for a lot of years, um, I, you know, I have a bunch of friends who don't know the Lord. And so we, we have these, ban it's banter. It's banter. It's not, it's discussion, just banter. But I had one friend that said to me, well, Jess, what would you say about like crime rates are going way down? Wouldn't that tell you like humanity's getting better and better? And like people aren't really that bad because there's barely any crime. Even in major American cities now, there's barely any crime. We're just talking like this and we're talking back and forth. But then, you know, this year, we all had to stay in our houses for some amount of time and the world went bonkers. And so now the discussion is like, yeah, but what about now? Because we could be good for about, you know, like a five-year trend. Everything was going down, but now everything's going back up again. What does that tell you? The funny thing is, as humans, we can keep it together for a little bit, but you know at your base state, when somebody is annoying you and bugging you, you can hold on for a little bit of time. 
you know, Mom, sometimes on Monday morning we wake up and say this, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an amazing mother this week. I'm not going to yell. I'm going to be patient. The joy of the Lord, we sang my favorite song on Sunday morning, and then by Monday afternoon, that child is on your last nerve, and you say, ah! right? This is, this is like, this is our, this is our problem as humans. When we forget that, though, and someone's stuff gets bigger, we um, get judgmental. And that, that's partly because it makes us feel better. Like, can we just admit that it sort of makes us feel better if somebody else is in a worse position than us? Like, as in you're not so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have problems, but they've got really big problems, I mean. Okay, so how do we know we're judging other people and we've forgotten the gospel? The first thing is this. When you're more enraged at someone else's sin than you're embarrassed about your own. When I see Christians getting mad about all kinds of manner of things on Twitter and Facebook, I get really worried because I think, what are you hiding? What are you trying to cover? Listen, when you get more enraged about somebody else's sin, I'm not just talking about people, I'm talking about groups of people, agendas, all that. When you're more enraged about that than you are broken about your own sin, you're, you're treading dangerous waters. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace by which others are, are just as entitled to as we are. It's a good thing to remember. Okay, we know we've, we're judging and we've forgotten the gospel and we fail to forgive. And forgiving is an easy thing to talk about. It's a really hard thing to do. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, like, if you're angry at somebody and you haven't forgiven them, just do it and forgive them and move on. But forgiving becomes an act of the will. It's always in the present tense that we would forgive. And I, I would say that sometimes you've forgiven somebody. Have you ever had this happen to you? You've forgiven somebody for something and you move on. And then something happens to you a little bit like um, PTSD it, it, that comes back. And then you're all, all at once again enraged by what they have done to you. It's how people just get going in circles, right? They can never just... So, so I would say this... When it comes to forgiving, we've got to be people that just keep short accounts. You know when you've forgiven somebody. Like somebody told me this. When, here's the litmus test. If you can pray that that person will be blessed and you actually mean it. Sometimes you've got to pray that they'll be blessed through gritted teeth. you got to pray, Jesus, I'm praying, they'd be, I'm praying that they would be blessed in every area of their life. That they would prosper. They would prosper financially, that they'd prosper in their health, that their, their family would prosper, that their marriage would prosper. This becomes harder when you've got to pray prosperity over somebody that wronged you. But that's a litmus test of, over whether you've forgiven them. When you're praying prayers like, God, would you get them? So, like, like, listen, listen, the Psalms, David prayed prayers like that, right? Like, he prayed crazy prayers, like, let ravenous beasts take them apart. Can you imagine if Dave got up here on Sunday morning and prayed that ravenous beasts would eat our enemies? Like, I would hope none of you would return. <laughs> Just because that would indicate that you were healthy people, right? Or that, I, I mean, I mean pray that you would return, that you would speak to Dave and it would get better. But anyways, but this is the kind of prayers that that David prayed sometimes. So, so sometimes you, you, now I'm not saying, we don't pray, what we never should pray is lies. 
Sometimes you got to pray, God, I feel. This is how I feel. But I'm asking that you would lift me up above my feelings, that my spirit would get bigger, that I would, I would bless somebody. Okay. Uh, you cut off. What about when you cut off those you disagree with? You're judging when you strongly disagree with someone over something like faith, morality, politics, coronavirus, and because you can't agree with them, you cut them off. Listen, the world's full of this right now. This is a word in season for us that we would not judge lest we be judged. There is no business in the body of Christ cutting people off because you disagree with their point of view. You might be right today, but you might be wrong tomorrow. You don't, we, we have to hold everything besides the blood of Jesus very lightly. This is why if you have a different opinion than me, that's fine. We can still, we can still be friends. We can still, but when you go from, and, and how you know this happens is when you're going from, only you can know this, but you go from friend group to friend group to friend group to friend group, you're always cutting people off at the knees. That's a hard thing to diagnose in yourself, though. So the good news is the mercy and grace of God is here for all of us. Some of us have had, a, a, you've had ongoing life like that, and it could be from your family of origin, for sure. If your family did that, and that's what you do. But maybe today, decide from here on out, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to cut people off that I disagree with. I might disagree with them, and it might be about big things. When parents come to me with kids who are going a wrong way or a bad way, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that cutting them off is not the answer. I do know that saying, continuing to be in relationship is important. Um, and I'm going to just be honest with you right now. All my notes are mixed up. Okay, here we go. I got excited and moved my pages all around wrong. Okay, uh, when we gossip about people, that's a sign we're judging them. Because that means we think they can never be changed. We think that the best way that we change them is by um, talking about them. And when we, here's another way you know you're judging people is when you, re you refuse to receive criticism. And this is a sign that we judge because, um, you know, we don't like to admit that we have faults. But if you understand the gospel, your faults should not surprise you. So when you come and point out my depravity, um, I should really say, well, of course. And here are a few others if you want to really know. When we don't receive criticism well, we're putting ourselves in a position of perfection from which we can judge everybody else since they have faults that clearly we don't. What's discouraging, even as I wrote this, I was kind of discouraged writing it. Because I was like, oh, so this means that we gotta, that we can't have that steely image we want to have. That fancy, shiny, Instagram perfect. It means that we have to be okay with the fact that God's not done sanctifying us yet. We have to be okay with the fact that we are not perfect yet. This is the message of Jesus to us. And we, we know we're judging someone when we refuse to correct somebody. So, you know, when you don't tell someone what God's word says, that God's word tells them they're wrong, either you don't believe what the Bible says or you don't believe that they can change. Either you don't believe that God's big enough to save them or you don't. 
or you don't think that they're going to listen to begin with, and either one of these things is problematic. So do not judge lest you be judged doesn't mean that we don't tell people the truth. In fact, it means we have a bigger, we have a, we have a bigger point of telling the truth. We tell the truth because we believe God can change people. We tell the truth because we believe God's word is true. So it doesn't mean that we become moral relativists and say, well, whatever, however you want to live your life, that's fine. No, no. We actually stand on the word of God and tell people the truth. It just means that when we tell them the truth, it doesn't change our relationship with them. It means we bring people closer. It means we love people more. It means we bend over backwards for people more. That's the, that's the message of the gospel. You see, truth without grace is judgmental fundamentalism. Judgmental fundamentalism. But grace without truth is liberal sentimentality. Neither one of these things is appropriate. We have to have truth and grace combined. And truth and grace means that there's going to be people around us that we neither disagree with, that we neither agree with, nor do we uh, embrace their lifestyle, their decisions. But it does not mean that we do not embrace them. And you embrace somebody by actually like, because have you heard this like, love the sinner, don't love the sin. There's a saying there, and you know I'm not good at saying, so. But sometimes we've made that like, like a weird Hallmark card. Like love the sinner, hate the sin means like really every time you're with somebody, just keep telling them you hate their sin so much. Because that's probably going to change their mind. Said nobody ever. That's never going to change somebody's mind. Do you know, there's areas of sin in your life that need changing. Yes? Okay. Everybody's good. Okay, yes. I was going to have to ask the Lord for prophetic words. No, no, no I'm just kidding. Uh, but the way you get to those sin areas is not by usually constantly harping on them. Love changes those things. There, you know, for every area of sin in your life, there's 10 areas that are good and pure and right, yes? Like, for every area you're struggling with, listen, you are not hopeless. And for every area that someone you love you disagree with, they're not hopeless. There's 10 other parts to them that you can love, so just love those parts. Just speak goodness and wholeness over those parts. We, we don't have to be always laser-focused on the problems. This creates exhaustion. And, and it makes people think, like, what am I, just my 1% problem? You're not your 1% problem. So we love people. Okay, so now we come to verse 6, which makes this part very problematic, this verse. It says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. And do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, you may trample them under their feet and turn... And they may turn and tear you to pieces. Now, I would, often when people read this portion of scripture from Matthew chapter 7, they just read that part like a poem and go, okay, whatevs. That was like a weird thing Jesus said there. But it, the two are connected. So the question is what, what is, what is Jesus talking about here? Just like if you've got some fancy knowledge, don't tell it to somebody. What? It can't mean that we should refuse to engage with someone who disagrees with us because a couple times before a couple of verses before Jesus is saying that no that's not it that would be to miss the entire point of what Jesus had said about not dismissing a person 
I believe, in fact, Jesus is giving us instructions here about how to engage with people who disagree with us. So, so what do we do with the people that disagree with us? But then that raises another question. Is Jesus really calling people dogs and pigs here? And um, there, there are, I, think, I think how we have to look at this is in this way. There are different uh, life forms, correct? Plant is the lowest life form. I mean, they can't hear us or do anything. Um, but, they, but they can um, respond. But there are, there are lives that are um, alive, and they respond to us like your dog. Okay, so my dog cannot talk to me, although I do want those pressing buttons. If you've ever seen that dog online, you know, that presses the buttons. Okay, my dog can't talk to me, but he does respond to me. But it means that I can't talk to my dog the way that I would talk to my children, right? I can't expect the same things out of him. That would be ridiculous. Um, Jesus compares, throughout the gospel, Jesus compares the message of his kingdom to a pearl. Um, but some people, he says, don't have the capacity to grasp it. Because there's a higher life form than human life form, and that's life given by the Spirit. And this reminds us right away at the beginning that when you're interacting with people, particularly about things of the Spirit and things of the kingdom, you, you have to actually pray that God will enlighten people. All your arguing, all your clever Facebook posts, as clever as they are, are not going to change a hill of beans. They're not going to change anybody's heart. They're not going to change anybody. I'm sorry to break this news to you. Some of you were composing some right now. Uh, unless, unless the Spirit of God breathes on them. Only supernatural power can change the heart. This is true. In E.M. Bounds said this, we shouldn't try to talk to a person about God without also talking to God about that person. Let me say that again. You shouldn't try to talk to somebody about God without talking to God about that person. Some of us have tried to like bound in there like tiggers. Like we're going to tell you the truth and it's going to be your life is going to be changed by my words. Your life, that, that person's life is not going to be changed at all. It's only the Spirit of God that wakes people up to the supernatural. If you don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, it's like throwing pearl before swine. Like it's trying to convince a, a pig to say the sinner's prayer. My kids, when we first got our dog, were really, were really um, worried about his salvation. And they really loved him. So like I, they were down in the basement, like, you know, trying to have a little discussion with the dog about Jesus. And they're very serious about this. Like, perhaps we could tell you about Jesus dying on the cross. Now, this seemed like, I mean, it was cute, but also like, we're like, theologically, I'm not sure, kids, where we stand on that. But this is, this is the picture of some of us, though, trying to convince people and push people. It's, 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 it's actually the Spirit of God. We, we have to come back to reminding ourselves that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, not by your intellect, not, not by some book you read, but by my spirit. And this is why we've got to be connected to the Spirit of God. It's why we've got to have these experiences with God. Okay, and then also I think it, it you know, Jesus, a couple chapters down the way, the disciples were really bothered that they couldn't cast a demon out. They were like, Jesus, what's going on? How come we can't cast this demon out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes through prayer and fasting. It's really important for us to remember that some of the things, some of the people you're trying to convince, you'll never convince. It only comes by prayer and fasting. 
Okay, so we got to be sensitive then to, to what people can handle. Jesus is saying here, look, be smart. They, there, there will be people that are in your lives that you are disagreeing with, and they don't appreciate the pearl. Don't give them that yet. Jesus once told the crowd, many things you're not ready for. Some people aren't ready for certain things. And that's okay. You don't, have to, you don't have to give everybody the smorgasbord of all the intricacies. You've got family members you're going to have Thanksgiving with in a couple of hours. I mean, you don't need to get into everything. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this in, in Mere Christianity. By the way, if you've never read the book Mere Christianity, I would encourage you to do it. It's a really good book. But he said this. He said, sexual ethics are not the center of Christianity. It would be real good if some Christians woke up and recognized that. Sexual ethics are not the center of Christianity. Some people are not ready to hear that yet. That's okay. It's a whole bunch of things they probably are ready to hear. Seek conversion to Jesus before persuasion to your point of view. Don't let secondary or tertiary issues get in the way of the main idea. L- listen, this, this is... I've been saying this for a bunch of, like, I'm going to say years now because it feels like years, months. Christians have to remember what are the most important things. The most, the primary issue is Jesus. We got, we're fighting about like tertiary, I don't know what the fourth, the fourth ring of the the Lord of the Rings. we're, We're fighting about all kinds of weird stuff and calling it Christianity. It's not, that's not Christianity, that's your opinion. And you're making your opinion the gospel, and it's turning people off. Okay, learn to adapt your message to the hearer. Um, This is really important. Martin Lloyd-Jones, theologian, pointed out that Jesus, um, when he he was being crucified, if you've ever looked at this in the gospel, do do you wonder why Jesus answered Pilate's questions? But to Herod, he stayed completely silent. You don't hi- Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, you don't handle a pilot and a Herod in exactly the same way. You must become an expert in knowing what to give each type. This is why we need to be connected to the spirit and person of God. You answer the questions of a pilot, but you say nothing to Herod. John 11 has two different women, and Martha, uh, Mary and Martha, and Jesus responds to them in two different ways. Some of us are throwing our pearl before swine because we're answering in the same way to the same people all the time. We're like little robots. We, we just have to say, God, would you help me to respond in the way that, that you want me to respond? We've got to listen before speaking. We've got to be patient with the pace of God in someone's life. You know, there are people who waited for sons and parents and daughters and friends to come to Jesus and the stories we read about uh, people's conversions in books take us 15 seconds to read, but they often take years and decades, decades to play out. Let us not grow weary in, do, in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap, we will reap a harvest. And then I would finally say this. To every, um, to every truth, there's two sides of ditch. So I do think Jesus is saying here that some, it's okay to back out of destructive relationships. You don't need to keep, like, going back, going back for more abuse. The gospel, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about it in terms of power, that Jesus was really speaking to, um, to power. 
He, he's reminding people here, you don't have to keep going back to destructive patterns. You don't have to keep going back to destructive relationships. That's not the way of the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that everybody who disagrees with you is a destructive and abusive relationship, right? But, but there are times when, when you, you've come to the end of the road and you just need to say, no, I'm backing away from this. Sometimes, though, I would say that we do have to be willing to be torn. Now, I'm not talking, please hear me, I'm not talking physically, in no way am I condoning physical abuse or anything like that. But Jesus talks about this. But in terms of our willingness to be mistreated for the gospel, what's really interesting, I've never seen this before, but Psalm 22 talks about Jesus' crucifixion. It's a prophecy about Jesus dying on the cross. I want you to see the words that are here. He said, many, many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the de- dust of death. And he says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. You see, Jesus was willing to be torn for us. Because he was willing to be torn, our lives were transformed. Some of us have decided, though, that we're just like more comfortable with comfortable Christianity. question is today, what is Jesus right in this moment calling you to in your real life? I'm not saying in like some like made up story life where you're like going to live. Like what, what is he calling to you to at your Thanksgiving table this weekend? What does judge not lest you be judged look like? Like, re- like really look like? What does it look like? Um, that person that presses on you. What does it look like with that person that has a different point of view than you? Are you pushing them away? Are you drawing them close? The power of the gospel is that it transforms us from the inside out. So yes, God calls our actions to be different to be changed. But in order for that to happen, we actually have to say, God, transform me from the inside so that my actions become more like you. All across the room today, could you just stand to your feet? I I want you just to just just hold your hands out like this, just as an act of surrender. And I'm going to pray that in this moment that God would... um, just give you eyes to see where you've been judging people. I'm not talking about telling people the truth, but where you push people away. Just in this moment, could you just, just as, you, as you're, as you're uh, standing there, God, would you just show us where we can live out this message of your kingdom and the people that we pushed away from you. God, we, we want to be people that don't dismiss people. 
So God, I pray that we would be undone by our own sin, that we'd be undone by, by the grace that you've given us so that we could walk with your mercy. God, give us a revelation of your grace and mercy today so that we'd be able to walk with people at the pace that they, they need us to walk with them. Help us to remember to pray for people before we talk to people. God, I pray that we would be bringers of grace and mercy in every circumstances, every circumstance. God, where we judge people, we ask for your forgiveness. Where we have not told people the truth, we ask for forgiveness. God, may we be, may we be people who operate in truth and in grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.